There were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello and welcome to the first Flicking of 2021. Flicking, in case you've been living in a cave, and why wouldn't you? It's been 2020 is our monthly take on films that we have watched and loved and hope that we can spread the love with, well, for me, Hannah Dunleavy. Mm. Hello. Hello. <laughs> She's still warming up to 2021. And uh, yeah. our resident film buff, Yosra Osman. Hello. Did you have a nice Christmas, Yosra? I did. It was smashing. I did nothing. I ate loads of food, had some drinks. It was perfect. What about you both? Yeah, I mean, I did all of those things, but I don't know that I'd describe it as perfect. But nonetheless, yeah, I mean, I ate a lot. I did a lot of nothing. Perfect, considering the circumstances and that, you know, yeah. you couldn't see family or anything. That was, But the restful part was was, was nice. <laughs> I love your positive attitude, Yosra. I'm going to come round to yours for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, similar here, quiet. But Yosra, you inspired a Christmas present that went down a treat. Did I? I bought my other half a diamond painting crystal cat. And <laughs> he's been painting with crystals and it's hilarious he's enjoying it he's loving it it's very therapeutic amazing yeah so sparkly so mickey you've chosen this month's film what did you go with i have i have this month we watched what is probably the slowest road movie ever made 1999's the straight story it's the least lynchian film david lynch ever lynched Co-written by Mary Sweeney and John E. Roach and based on the true story of Alvin Strait's 1994 journey across Iowa and Wisconsin on a petrol lawnmower. Before I crack on with the what and the why, a very quick question. Have either of you seen it before? I had never seen it before, before yesterday actually, so it was a treat. Oh, that's good to know. Hannah? I had seen it before I actually saw it at the cinema, which sounds like quite a simple thing. But given I was living in Newport Pagnell at the time and the only cinema near us is a multiplex and this was quite niche, really, I felt it was an achievement to have managed to see it at the cinema at the time. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Because I say it's a road movie and that makes it sound quite big in that kind of heritage of the, the American road movie. But the straight story is also a modern day Western, I think. Alvin, our hero, with his cowboy hat firmly in place, trundles across the Midwest on his trusty iron steed like a rickety old Santa, delivering wisdom about the importance of family in the kind of story I reckon John Steinbeck might have written if he'd ever felt chipper. Cowboy turned longtime stuntman Richard Farnsworth shines in the star role of Alvin Strait, a 73-year-old man living in Lawrence, Iowa, with his daughter Rose. Hello, Sissy Spacek, being quietly brilliant. When Alvin learns his estranged brother Lyle has had a stroke, he decides to go see him for what might well be the last time. The problem is, Lyle's 240 miles away in Mount Zion, Wisconsin. Alvin's eyes are dodgy and his hips are fucked, so he can't have a driver's license, and he doesn't like to be driven. He does, however, have a tractor mower he can hitch a trailer to, and so he does just that, eschewing the concern of various naysayers. And when that first mower doesn't make the cut, he shoots it, buys a new one, and he goes again. Alvin's eyesight may be fading, but his stubbornness hasn't gone anywhere. And we travel that road with him through wheat fields, glorious sunsets and lightning storms at a steady five miles an hour. 
Alvin's learned that life cannot be rushed and the thing he dislikes most about getting older is recalling the breakneck speed of youth. And even though he knows he has little time to waste, that's not going to make his lawnmower go faster. And so he sits, he moseys. And that's basically it. So before I say why I love it, I'm going to ask you guys what you thought of it. Well, so I think at the end of the last podcast, you both said to me that it was very non-David Lynch, considering it's David Lynch's film. And at the beginning of the film, the first thing I see is something, Walt Disney presents David Lynch. And I thought, (laughs) my goodness, speaking of what I was not expecting with this. Um, And I really didn't know, I didn't know what I was was in for, but I, I just thought it was... There was something so tender about the film mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned that it's quite slow paced but I quite liked that because we go with them on this journey and we take the time to reflect in the moments that he's reflecting on and experience people's lives and relationships in these these really quite sweet sentimental moments. It was so bizarre to me because I'm so used to David Lynch being surreal and kind of dystopian in ways I thought this is so weird but in the end I, I think that's what I quite like the most about it that it was a bit of a surprise David Lynch actually described it as the weirdest film he'd ever made I was just gonna yeah. say that yeah. <laughs> <Can you> hear <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah. I love it I love I love it because I mean I love indie and it's not indie because obviously it's Walt mm-hmm. Disney but it feels indie and I love old fellas and conversations that old fellas have about the past and the war and stuff like that and I like the, I mean, I, I, I come very much from myself, uh, an attitude of, you know, how can we make this thing happen? And that's basically what Alvin does. I have this problem. How am I going to solve it? And if that means I have to nail three bits of, of plywood to the side of a trailer and tow that and sleep in that for three weeks, then that's what I'm going to do. And and I like it. Because you said about a Western. I, I don't know that it is so much a Western, but I, I feel like it's if what would happen if the Coen brothers made Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, in as much as it's got that odd sort of touch of the Coen brothers, of slightly sort of comedic, like small town America. But at the same time, the centre of it is this bloke who just will not give up. He's decided he's going to do something and he will not give up. So it's not violent like Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia is, but it's just like a man on a mission. And not in a, he was a man on a mission, but on on a really small scale, even though he goes long distance. You root for him because of that determination it's yeah. kind of admirable in a way you know he's going to do this and several times he's offered help from other people to finish his journey and he said no I've got to do this my own way and I just sat there the whole time being like yeah you go you get there <laughs> see Lyle I'm so excited yeah. <laughs> I, I love that line when he says you are a kind man talking to a stubborn man he's absolutely aware of his own nature and you you learn that that has been really hard won I love that the straight story manages to feel simultaneously low stakes and the highest stakes. So aside from a runaway lawnmower down a steep hill, Alvin's never really in any danger while on his journey. The people he meets are two or one kind, decent humans keen to help him on his way, as opposed to the monsters and psychopaths that usually litter Lynch's small town America. And yet, Love, forgiveness, reunion, peace of mind and heart all rely on Alvin and this trip working out. His brother's an old man who suffered a stroke. Alvin is also in a body that appears to be thrown in the towel bit by bit. What if he gets there and Lyle's dead? And perhaps even worse, what if he gets there and Lyle refuses to sit and look up at the stars with him like they used to so long ago? 
And there's that real, that's the jeopardy, isn't it? It's worth saying that underpinning all of this, there's another jeopardy that isn't obvious unless you read about it at the time or do some Googling now, which is that Richard Farnsworth was actually seriously ill when he made this film himself. And therefore, I mean, he did actually live another year afterwards. But therefore, there must have felt some sort of element of we've got to get this done because if we don't get this done, maybe he won't be here to finish this at the same time. I think particularly because it was shot chronologically, which is quite yeah. unusual. So obviously that must have felt really pressing. It's quite sad, isn't it? The neatness that the real Alvin Strait died two years after completing his journey and Richard Farnsworth died a year after filming Alvin's journey. He was utterly robbed at the Oscars that year because he was Mm. nominated for an Oscar. I felt like he was genuinely robbed. I think it was one of the most naturalistic performances I'd seen, certainly that year at the time or for a long time. It feels really authentic. I I know it's a real story, but if you didn't know it was a real story, part of you would think, oh, at some point he'd have just given up or he wouldn't have met these characters or or just it it couldn't, it might not have felt as believable. But I actually think that, that Richard Farnsworth made it believable for me and it was just really a really genuine performance my little summary is the straight story is sweet not saccharine simple Mm. but not slight starlit not sunbright and it's peaceful while breaking your heart there are two to me stories that absolutely smash your heart to bits and leave it aching and one of them is when he meets the other war veteran and they sit Mm. and they just have this very quiet, understated chat about how the war changed a generation forever. And I think it it speaks volumes over films that are made about the conflicts. And also just that line when he's talking to Crystal, the runaway pregnant girl that he meets on the road, about his daughter, about Rose, who's played by Sissy Spacek. Just the tragedy of her losing her four kids is just... It's, it's just it's there and then it's gone but it stays with you and it's literally what two lines and a shot of her looking out the window Mm. yeah it has a lot of impact and i think that impact stays with you as you get the kind of flashes of sissy spacek as the film continues i mean i I was thrilled to see sissy spacek because she's brilliant but you know even though she's not on screen as much you still feel the kind of the presence and what she means to Alvin as well uh, on his journey and the whole notion of family really you know the whole point he's going is because he wants to see his distant brother Um, and I I don't know there's something really moving about that dynamic talking about families and relationships which comes across with all the characters he kind of meets on the way yeah it's quite conservative Well done picking that, Mickey, at the time that none of us can see our family. I can see my bundle of sticks, but you guys can't see your bundle of sticks, can you? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen my bundle of sticks. I think that image that you just brought up there, that bundle of sticks, that story, in pretty much any other film would be a bit like, oh, for fuck's sake, eye roll. But it isn't. No, I have to say, as someone who is dedicated with all of my love to Planet of the Apes films in the remakes of the Planet of the Apes films that's how Caesar explains it to the other chimps oh. by snapping one stick and then oh. putting loads of sticks together and showing that he can't snap them. Which was first? Um, Just out of curiosity. Oh, oh that's the remake so that's like about 10 years old so Straight Story is definitely first but yeah the fact that it exists in both of them suggests that one, either they love that film or that that's actually just a, a, an old folksy thing that people in America mm. actually say. It feels very folksy America, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you say it feels folksy America, but I'm going to say that if um, if there was a possibility that you could place a £10 bet on 
and then find out Labrooks wouldn't take it, but then find out that whoever it is who um, directs Detectorists, mm-hmm. if I could put a ten pound bet on what their favourite film was, I would say this <laughs> yeah. because yeah. it's really, really, really similar. That the a lot of the shots of nature just going on, a lot of the open shots of fields and things like that. It's uh, I bet whoever directs it loves this film. It's all sorts of lovely words, isn't it? That when you come to describe the straight story, it just brings to mind all sorts of lovely words that probably don't get used enough, particularly like with the news as it is, but just it's gentle, it's tender, it's sweet. It's all of those heartwarming things. It doesn't go for easy things. Like when it gets picked up by the bus of old ladies, there was loads (laughs) of easy, easy stuff that could have happened there. But rather than make a joke, it just allows you to sit with the fact that there's something comedic about the fact that he's ended up on a coach load of old ladies. Yeah, yeah. I like those little bits of humour that are just sort of tucked in there amongst everything else. You know, they're probably darkly comedic but the bit with the deer for example where I thought you know oh gosh this is terrible what's happening but then they they switch from that shot of the deer to him just sitting there with the open fire and I don't know why but I sort of just had a little a little laugh at that and I, it's what? just little things and he's looking behind him and there's all the deer behind it and I thought actually that's a little glimpse of Lynch there I thought definitely the most Lynchian I, bit of the film I yeah, think her just absolutely. going where do they all come from uh, yeah the world's strange isn't it <laughs> yeah I, I just love those little touches that just added something else I think something extra yeah. yeah and actually by staying on his face in that and in a couple of incidents like that what they managed to do is completely lower their budget because they didn't have to come up with a fake deer that could be hit by a car and all of that yeah. stuff yeah but it actually works quite effectively that you just see him see that incident happen rather than see the incident happen yourself I've seen it a lot of times. I, it only struck me when I rewatched it yesterday that the, the, this image then has never popped into my head before of then Alvin has to fucking gut a deer and then he's clearly scalped it because the antlers are on his little trailer. And I was like, oh, Alvin. But, you know, yeah. obviously he would probably have those kind of skills because he, he then tells us he grew up on a farm. But yeah, I was like, oh, I've never really thought about that before. But yeah, there's a, a brutality. Drag it out of the road. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that he's he's a weak man because his body is old and it's giving up on him. But that mental strength, that sort of courage is still there. And I think mm. quite often we see weak strong men if that makes sense you know people like trump's heroes that are just that are just brute strength but actually don't have that much about them whereas alvin's almost the opposite and that's quite refreshing i think yeah Mm -hmm. i I think going on to comedy i think the only bit that doesn't really work for me uh in this is the farley brothers who Mm. are playing people called the elton twins which is actually a funny joke in itself (laughs) i thought so yeah yeah but they were um a tiny bit a tiny bit playing it like they were in it's not chris farley it's this is for listeners it's another two farley brothers they were playing it a little bit openly comedically but however it was all entirely saved by that really coen brothers-esque plaster yes that he yeah. had on his face down there which yeah. is just lovely i was like you could have actually amped down quite a lot of the big eyes you were doing in that scene and just on the plaster because that was funny on its own yeah yeah 
can we briefly talk about the ending? I don't want to spell it out because the ending itself doesn't spell it out, but I just, I think it's perfect. His reunion with Lyle for me is just perfect. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time when you saw who Lyle is, which we can leave, but it makes perfect sense, obviously, and it's the only time that it actually feels like a David Lynch film, sort of, when you go, of course, that's who plays his brother. (laughs) Um, And he comes out on his little walker, and yeah, it's short but sweet, isn't it? In that they could have achieved what they achieved in that scene by talking for five minutes, but instead they achieved it in like three sentences, which is really sparse. But excellent writing. Whoever wrote it, the woman you wrote, you Mary Sweeney. Sweeney, yeah, she writes with David Lynch all the time. Yeah, she's his yeah. like partner for so. Him. Yeah, she obviously sort of um, maybe was responsible for the more Lynchian touches in it. But yeah, uh, I think that Ed scene is lovely. The dialogue's been compared to Hemingway. You're a big Hemingway fan, aren't you, Hannah? I am a big Hemingway. Would fan. you well, agree I mean, with it, that? It is because it's Hemingway wrote. Hemingway doesn't seem particularly revolutionary now because um, what was revolutionary about him was that he wrote in the way that people speak. And number one, lots of people do that now. And number two, people don't actually speak like that now. So it doesn't (laughs) seem like people, he writes how people speak. Uh, But yes, it has a touch of that. And it's, it's kind of brutal. I mean, he talks about incredibly horrible, painful things in a really matter of fact way, which Mm -hmm. is very Hemingway. Yeah. Yeah. Yosra, what did you think of the ending? I did think it was a really good ending and I think what I liked about it was that it it follows on from what the film does, what you were saying, Mickey, and not being saccharine, but still having that, that raw kind of feeling there in ending the film with that same tone and it just I can't describe it in just saying it was just the perfect kind of ending for the whole story and that whole journey that we've been through with Alvin. I just think it worked it worked really, really well. And um, yeah, I actually can't wait to see it again now. I hey. kind of feel like if I watch it again, maybe I'll notice something else or take something else away from it. I think on my second watch, or maybe like my, my third watch, I've seen it. I've seen it probably like six times. Not huge and huge amounts, like I, as in Ghostbusters and Jaws and Jurassic Park, but enough. And I think in the first watch, you're focused on Alvin and probably quite a lot on Rose. And I think on the second watch, you do get to enjoy those background characters a little bit more. And, you know, the scenery and stuff, because, okay, I've got the gist of the story now. And I think one thing I also wanted to add just to touch on is is that kind of whole package when we're going with Alvin on his journey is, is the choice of the cinematography, which is sort of simple, but encompasses so much landscape um, and, and and the choice of the score as well, oh, the music, which I just think is one of it. Every time that, that theme kept coming back when he was driving, um, I just thought that this is perfect it just the whole theme around it and how it looks and how it feels as you're going on this journey you you it it really helps shape that that viewing experience yeah tip of the hat to angelo badalamenti who one composed the score and two has an excellent name yeah great yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i also want to tip my hat to the uh, brilliant eyebrow fringes when uh, alvin and lyle actually do get together there's a gorgeous shot and they've both got eyebrows so long that they're coming into their eyes (laughs) i enjoyed that was it a hit then did we enjoy the straight story well i enjoyed the straight story yeah absolutely 
I've yeah. got to say thanks to both of you for introducing me. I think this and Grey Gardens introducing me to two wonderful films that I've heard about but never thought to watch. And I feel like my my film knowledge has been enriched. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> How are you Keep going up. to... <laughs> How are you going to return the favour next month, Yosra? And I'm going to say here, just as a precursor, I am dropping out next week and Jen is swapping in next month. And Jen is swapping in for a month because Jen is going to join the rotation, which means whatever it is you pick, I'm not going to be able to watch. So feel free to pick something that you think I would hate. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so you can have a happy chat about it. But or bear be... in mind, we have already watched Kindergarten Cop. I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so I've actually, I was quite stressed thinking what to pick after two such wonderful picks last time. So I've I've gone for just one of my absolute favourite films, which is called Mommy. And it's written, directed and produced by Xavier Dolan. It's a Canadian film. Uh, it's set in a sort of f- fictionalised Canada where um, the government say that they, they allow parents who are struggling with their kids either for behavioral issues or because of finances to to permit them to go into hospitals the, the children and be looked after in hospitals and it's about a woman who her son is sometimes quite violent and has some behavioral issues and and how she kind of thinks about that and their relationship I won't give away too much but it's just get the tissues out it's quite an emotional emotional film but I might watch it anyway um, I would recommend it to yeah. any absolutely anybody it's one of my favorite films of all time Standard issue for all women.